Good morning. Well, this morning we're going to continue our studies in the book of Mark. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. As you're doing that, um, I'd like to begin by continuing our responsive reading in Psalm 119, which will actually be up on the screen. So if you'd stand and uh, for the word of God this morning, we're going to do a responsive reading as we have uh, through Psalm 119. This morning we're in verses 41 through 48. So I'll begin and uh, we'll do every other verses with your response. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. And I delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word. We love your word. The encouragement from Psalm 119 is to love the word of God, to live by your statues, your precepts. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And this morning, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive what your spirit is saying to the church this morning. We ask that you teach us, that we um, receive it with faith, with a ready heart, Lord, a surrendered heart, to obey you and to, to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd re remain standing, uh, we're going to read now Mark uh, from Mark chapter 10, um, <clears throat> the first 10 verses. Then he arose from there, Jesus, and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You may be seated. <clears throat> so today... 
we'll be looking at what it means to apply gospel truths to marriage and divorce. And in order to do that, it's going to be very important for us to look at the whole counsel of God. Because what Jesus said about divorce and remarriage in this passage is not all that the Bible has to say. Some teach that what Jesus says in this passage cancels out what God says about marriage and divorce in other passages. But to do that is just bad hermeneutics, which leads to the scriptures being misinterpreted and misunderstood. But before we dive into all that, I'd like to begin by following the the example that Jesus set when he was asked things related to marriage. He responded to those asking questions by going back to the beginning. He goes back to Genesis, back to foundational truths, and back to what God created and designed and intended. And that brings me to point number one this morning, God is the author of marriage. I attended a a wedding years ago, and I heard the pastor include the same verses from Genesis 2 in his opening prayer that Jesus quotes here in Mark 10. I thought it was so fitting, I now include it in every wedding ceremony. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, we know that marriage is ordained of you. It was in your heart and mind before the beginning of time. And it was you, Father, who gave the first bride away in the Garden of Eden. When you brought the first woman to the man, and he said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So marriage was God's idea. It was never something that man came up with. The idea of marriage did not emerge millions of years ago during some evolutionary phase. I mean, can you imagine some cavemen or some Neanderthals coming up with a marriage ceremony? I can just hear the groom coming up with his vows, grunting his way through it as he looks at his bride and, and he grunts, me like you. Me like you forever. Me promise. No, 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 no. I don't think so. But you know, the way people fall in and out of love these days, you think marriage originated with cavemen. But no, God authored marriage. And he designed marriage. It was designed for his glory and for our good. And marriage is defined by God. It is a one flesh union between one man and one woman. Man does not have the right or prerogative to redefine marriage. Amen? Marriage is a covenant of companionship, and it was meant to only be broken by death. It was intended by God to be a lifetime commitment and the most intimate human relationship with a oneness that is nurtured in love and faithfulness. So why is God so serious about marriage? Because marriage, excuse me, because the faithfulness of a husband and wife to the marriage covenant glorifies the character and nature of God. Our marriages were meant to be a mirror reflection of God's nature and character. He is our covenant-keeping God who is always faithful. This is how God created marriage, This is what he intended it to be, and this was and is and still is the ideal from the beginning. 
Marriage was designed for God's glory and for our good because it is always for man's good that God is glorified and that his nature and character are revealed so that we can know God and willingly love and trust him with all of our hearts. And this is one of the main reasons I believe that God hates divorce. It is not the only reason, but God hates divorce because it is contrary to his character and nature. Divorce does not glorify God. And it is, it is fundamentally at odds with God's purpose in creation. Most Bible-reading Christians know that God allows divorce under some very specific circumstances, as we'll look at in a moment. But he hates divorce nonetheless because it is inconsistent with his character and nature and the purpose for which he created marriage. Those words, God hates divorce, are found in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, in the second chapter. I'd like to read it in its context, if you'd like to turn there. We'll have it up on the screen as well. There, these are the words of the prophet, as God spoke through him to rebuke his people. So Malachi 2, starting in verse 10, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel, in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But it, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce and it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. That word treacherously in Hebrew means deceitfully and unfaithfully. It implies both abandonment and infidelity. So God hates divorce, we know that. But let's be clear, it doesn't say God hates divorcees. Amen? And divorce is not an unforgivable sin. And I realize that by making these statements, I run the risk of emboldening someone who is considering the divorce this morning without having the biblical grounds to do so and using the grace and mercy of God to rationalize their decision or to justify it, thinking to themselves, God will forgive me. If that's you this morning, please understand that the Bible strongly warns you not to think that way. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that 
as many of us that were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So sin has consequences, and divorce has huge consequences. I've never been divorced, but I can, I can imagine that many would say, after they've gone through it, that they would have preferred reconciliation with their spouse. That they would have preferred that, the, that their spouse would have repented. Or, they, or, or because they loved each other, and they married each other, they would have preferred that they would have worked it out and would have stayed together as they intended from the beginning. They would have preferred that their family was still together. So if your marriage is struggling this morning, if you're considering divorce, please remember that God has provided the church to come alongside you. Pastors and elders ministry leaders, group leaders, your brothers and sisters in Christ. We care about you, we love you, and we care about your marriage. God wants to use us to speak the truth in love to you, to comfort you, and even confront if necessary. Let's strive together for the best possible outcome. Because God's ideal still stands. Let's remember the gospel truths that can be applied to your marriage. With God, all things are possible. Which means repentance and reconciliation are possible. The love of God and the grace of God knows no limits. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. This means only God can make marriage and only God can break marriage. Since God instituted marriage, it is subject to the rules and regulations that he has set. This means individuals may only marry, divorce, and remarry if, when, and how God says they may without sinning. Simply put, God expects us to submit to his authority as the author and designer and definer of marriage. This brings me to my second point, God regulates divorce. Why does God need to regulate divorce? I think Jesus answered that question here in Mark chapter 10 when he told the Pharisees that Moses permitted divorce due to the hardness of your hearts. Are you ready for some hard truths this morning? If you don't agree with something I'm about to say, you can email me at Kevin. Or just kidding. But here's the truth. Divorce is almost always due to unrepentant sin. And there is usually one spouse who carries more of the guilt than the other, usually. But divorce is almost always due to the hardness of heart and to unforgiveness and to unwillingness and in many, many cases, unfaithfulness. God has made a few allowances for divorce, but overall they are extremely limited. And outside of these exceptions, divorce is sinful and disobedient and dishonoring to God. The overarching truth is that God hates divorce and he hates the sin that causes it. 
Jesus said that God made a concession and permitted divorce due to the hardness of the human heart. This means God understands our fallenness and the frailty of the human condition. He understands that there are circumstances and there are individuals involved in those circumstances where the marriage cannot endure. So how does God regulate divorce? God regulates divorce by applying the truths of the gospel. But first, it's important to understand the context of Mark chapter 10. By the time Jesus came on the scene, the Pharisees had taken what Moses said generations before to mean that they could divorce their wives for just about any reason and be justified. And they came that day not only to try to trap Jesus in his words so they could accuse him, but they came to seek permission to divorce, like many do today, looking for reasons, looking for loopholes, looking for just a way out. So Jesus exposed the hardness of their hearts and their selfish desire to find a way out of marriage simply because they could find something they didn't like about their spouse, something that displeased them. In reality, they, represented, they represent anyone who is just wanting to give themselves permission to walk away. So Jesus is rebuking them. He's saying, you are the ones who are unfaithful to your covenant. You have become unfaithful, unloving, unforgiving, and you are willing to dishonor God by seeking divorce for any reason. He's saying your hearts have become hard, and as a result, you mistreat your spouse, just like your ancestors, who the prophet Malachi rebuked for their treachery. So Jesus comes down hard with them. Jesus comes down direct. He confronts their hard-heartedness, and he says to, the, says to them exactly what they need to hear. Now, Matthew records this same conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees that day. But in Matthew 19, it tells us that Jesus said something else. Matthew 19, 9, said, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So what the Pharisees needed to hear that day was if you divorce your wives for any reason other than sexual immorality, it will lead to the sin of adultery and you will be causing sexual immorality. In other words, when either of you moves on to another relationship without having the grounds that God has established, you will be committing adultery because in the eyes of God, you're still married. You're not released from your marriage covenant. You are not free to remarry because God has not allowed it. Any questions? The truth is, there are more questions if we do not consult the whole counsel of God. But this passage clearly teaches if you, you have divorced and remarried and you did not have biblical grounds, you have committed the sin of adultery with your next spouse. The questions that usually come up are related to repentance. As based on this scripture passage alone, some teach your only repentance is to divorce again and remain single in hopes that you can be reconciled to your first spouse. 
But this was forbidden by God in the law of Moses, and it is not biblical repentance for the church either under these circumstances. Again, God regulates divorce by applying the truths of the gospel. What I mean by this is if you have had an unbiblical divorce and you have remarried, then according to the scriptures, you have sinned against God and are guilty of adultery, and you need to repent and make it right before God. But repentance doesn't mean divorcing again. That would mean committing another sin in order to right a past sin. Are you with me? If I have a great debt to pay, I don't go rob a bank to get the money to pay my debt. I don't commit another sin to right a past sin. For those who have had a sinful divorce and remarried, repentance involves godly sorrow, a brokenness over their sin, confession to God with the intention of honoring God in their current relationship. Then they can walk in full confidence of God's promise. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is God's promise. And you can take great confidence in it. If you can be forgiven, you can be cleansed as white as snow because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. This is how the gospel is applied to sinners who confess their sins and repent with every intention of honoring God going forward. But let me say this. If you are responsible for a sinful divorce and there is any possibility of reconciliation, meaning neither of you, you or your spouse, has not moved on to another relationship, then your repentance would mean confession to God for your part and receiving his forgiveness and then seeking with all your heart to be reconciled to your spouse because your covenant and your bond has not been broken. Again, if it is possible. And we have had several couples connected to this church who have divorced and later have remarried because it was possible. But this brings me to the next, the next point. God regulates divorce by making allowances for divorce and remarriage under very limited conditions. And God permits divorce due to the, due to the weakness and frailty of, hum, of the human human excuse me, of fallen humanity for those who have been sinned against. And God permits divorce due to the hardness of hearts because of those who sin and are unrepentant. And God recognizes divorce if it is for biblical reasons. If the divorce is based on biblical grounds or the reasons God permits, then the marriage bond is broken and the innocent spouse is free to remarry without sinning. So let's review the concessions and allowances that are given to us in the scriptures. God permits divorce and remarriage due to the sin of adultery. Now, some would argue that this means any and all sexual immorality, because in Matthew 19, Jesus uses the the Greek word pornea, which refers to all forms of sexual immorality. Others would argue that based on the context that Jesus is only referring to adultery. 
But can someone sin against their spouse and be unfaithful and sexually immoral in other ways? Absolutely. And is it possible for that person to repent with godly sorrow and be forgiven and washed and cleansed while still married? Absolutely. And is it possible for that person to rebuild trust by showing consistent faithfulness as evidence of their genuine repentance? Absolutely. Again, because of the gospel truths that can be applied to marriage, marriages can endure, and reconciliation and restoration are possible. But God allows divorce due to the hardness of human hearts who refuse to repent and due to the frailty of human hearts that have been broken. But it's, it's important to see that Jesus does not command divorce for the person who has been sinned against by sexual immorality. Because when there is godly sorrow and genuine repentance from a guilty spouse, reconciliation is possible. And the reconciliation of a marriage is in accordance with God's hatred of divorce and his forgiving nature. So this is always God's desire. And this is why God never commands divorce. He only makes a concession. And this is why the pastors here at Calvary Chapel will never encourage someone to get divorced, but to always seek reconciliation if possible. However, what God permits, we must permit also. When an innocent spouse has decided to divorce, having biblical grounds, God releases them from their covenant, frees them to remarry, and the church must support them. God does not condemn them or shame them or abandon them, and neither do we. And we realize that no two marriages, no two marriage relationships are the same. Each marriage must be helped by seeking to understand its history and its journey. The oneness of marriage is God's doing and is unique in every way. And although marriages are governed by unchanging principles, these are applied uniquely with much mercy and much grace, just as God governs all of our lives with much mercy and much grace. So not only does God permit divorce and remarriage due to the sin of adultery, God permits divorce and remarriage due to the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. So most Bible teachers and evangelical ministry leaders agree this is another allowance God has made for divorce and remarriage that isn't clearly seen in the scriptures, the abandonment by an unbelieving spouse based on what is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at it. If a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let him not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Or if a brother or sister is not Excuse me, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So this became a big question in the first century church at Corinth. Many were responding to the gospel and, and getting saved. But many of their spouses were not. 
And so came the question, do we stay together? Do we get divorced? So some would say in, in this situation, divorce is actually preferable. If an unbelieving spouse has left the marriage, they've departed. Because trying to honor the marriage covenant after the unbelieving spouse has left only brings a myriad of difficulties and grief and hardships to the abandoned spouse, which they have no control over, as the unbelieving spouse continues to live their life apart from God. And notice it says God has called us to peace. So I'd like to move on from this and add that there are also those who say we as church leaders must do everything we can to preserve the marriage covenant at all costs. Because since marriage is an illustration of Christ and his relationship with the church, but I believe by saying that they ignore the bigger picture of what God, God desires for his people. Again, God has called us to peace. It's been said that marriage was made for man, not man for marriage. And obviously God has not commanded us to stay together at all costs. God has called us to peace. And again, God has allowed divorce due to the hardness of the human hearts who refuse to repent and due to the frailty of human hearts who have been broken. And there are many other struggles that are not mentioned in the Bible in the context of marriage from neglect to abuse to many things in between. So some are saying that the Bible is impractically narrow in dealing with marital struggles and difficulties. But we know that God is wise. We know that he is not regretting that he didn't give us more in the word of God. As it says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. And God has given us his whole counsel so I'm going to step out on a theological limb here. Some will say I'm going too far. Others will say it's about time that the church woke up. I believe there may be a third allowance or a concession that God makes for divorce and marriage, again, based on the whole counsel of God's word. As pastors and elders, we have met with spouses who have described their marriage as a living hell. Due to continued abuse and manipulation and even intimidation. And they described how they have waited and they have pleaded and have prayed year after year. And then they explain how they have been so beaten down, so damaged, so wounded, and how the relationship has become so toxic that if they were to continue, they would be destroyed by it. So I have come to the conviction, now this is me talking, I've come to the conviction, based on the whole counsel of God, when there is ongoing abuse, and when a spouse is, a spouse is serially unrepentant, and the wounded and broken are at their wit's end, I do not believe that God conden condemns them to stay in that kind of a marriage. Nor do I believe they are condemned to a life of singleness. 
As we've seen in 1 Corinthians 7, God has called us to peace. Consider also the counsel that was given to the church in 1 Corinthians 5. The apostle wrote, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, which is a verbally abusive, or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what, I, what do I have to do with judging those who are outside? Do, I, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. I'll say it again. God allows divorce to, due to the hardness of human hearts who refuse to repent and due to the frailty of human hearts who have been broken. Broken due to unfaithfulness, to abandonment, and I think also broken to ongoing abuse. Here's a quote from Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel. He said, it is extremely unfortunate when two people are set about to consciously or unconsciously destroy each other. Yes, God hates divorce, but he also hates those intolerable conditions that sometimes exist when you get a hard-hearted person in a marriage relationship. We do not want to create condemnation for those who have had the bitter experience of being married to someone by paper, but not by reality, when there was never a true oneness brought together by God's Spirit. And because of intolerable situations to save themselves, found it necessary to get a divorce, lest the marriage totally destroy them. So there are some, after much prayer and patience and having done all, there are those who believe that God releases them who need to be rescued by his loving care. And I believe they need the loving support of the church and not condemnation. We as the church need to comfort one another with love, to come alongside divorced persons, children of divorce, those in marital conflict, and those in crisis. Amen? Okay, my final point on this is that God redeems divorce. The reason God is so serious about our marriage covenants with each other is because he is so serious about his marriage covenant with us. Whether you have gone through the pain of divorce with biblical grounds or without, you are part of the body and bride of Christ, and we want you to always remember that Jesus is always faithful, and Jesus is always forgiving. Whether or not your marriage covenant was broken, the ultimate marriage covenant is still intact. And God carries on his covenant of love with you. He will never be unfaithful to you. He will never abandon you because Jesus never forsakes his bride. The reality is we are his bride forever. Amen? Okay, so finally, let's see what Jesus said about children in this passage in Mark chapter 10. In verse, starting in verse 13, Then they brought the little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. 
Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So I believe that a child's heart is inclined to believe in God. Meaning a child's heart naturally will believe in God and be drawn to Jesus. A child, I believe, can only learn atheism. They can only learn atheism when their heart is led astray and their faith is destroyed by those who teach such things. In the context of marriage and divorce, as we have seen, God designed and intended marriage to be a mirror reflection of his his nature and character, to be a picture of Christ's love and devotion to the church. And why? Not only to be a witness to the world, but to be a witness to children so that they are raised to know and love and follow Christ. You may have noticed in Malachi where it says God hates divorce, he also says something else about children. In verse 15, he said, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So God doesn't want the hearts and the faith of children to be damaged by ungodliness in marriage. God intended and created marriage and the family to be a safe, caring, loving, nurturing environment. And as parents, we have, commissioned, we have been commissioned to raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord. So today, we have some children getting baptized. They've responded to Jesus with their childlike faith, open to him, attracted to him, now trusting in him, loved by him. And may that be an example to all of us because Jesus said, for such is the kingdom of, of God. Let's be sure that we are walking reconciled to God this morning. Reconciled to God and reconciled to, to each other. Determined to honor God in our relationships so that the way we love one another glorifies him and reflects his character and his nature because he is our covenant-keeping God who is always faithful. Amen? Let's have the worship team come out. And if you're going to get baptized this morning, we would like you to go uh, to the door here in the corner. There are people back there waiting for you. But um, as they do that, would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word. Again, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our truth. Uh, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, Lord. And you've given us uh, the truth of the gospel as it can be applied to marriage and divorce and remarriage. And Lord, we do want to honor you in our relationships. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, your mercies, which are new every morning. Thank you for your heart, for the hurting and the struggling. 
Lord, and thank you for your church. Thank you that we are the family of God who cares about one another, who will come alongside the hurting and the struggling with your love. Lord, thank you that you are our covenant-keeping God. And that the covenant you've made with us will never be broken because you are always faithful. Lord, just bless us this morning with the assurance of your unfailing love, your love for us, your love for our marriages, our families. Help us again to know how to honor and reflect you in all that we do. In Jesus' name.